Good evening, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey, coming to you live from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on this Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. December 7th. And that ought to make a light go off in your mind as it relates to the importance of that day. This is the 80th anniversary. Today is the 80th year anniversary of the, um, the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor, which introduced America's involvement into World War II. So, um, amen, a day which shall live in infamy. So we'll say more about that here in a few moments. If that is 
I love that old song written by the late Dottie Rambo. And I love uh, Sister Dottie's music. It's some of the greatest, more modern uh, songs that were written over the course of the last century were written by Sister Dottie Rambo. If that isn't love, then you tell me what is. And that goes right along uh, the line with the topic of today's Trumpet Series Bible study, uh, describing the greatness and the magnitude of God's love. Boy, don't we have a job tonight trying to get across the meaning of the love of Jesus. Amen. And we'll talk more about that here in just a little while as I do my best tonight to try to get the camera where I want it to be. Aren't you thankful tonight for the love of God? But again, it's a pleasure to have you, a privilege and an honor uh, uh, to know that you're tuning in tonight, whether it be by way of Facebook or YouTube or even listening by way of podcast. We're so thankful that you choose to uh, make the Trumpet Series a Bible study broadcast a part of your day. And I know I'm coming to you a little bit late later on this evening, but I'm excited about today's broadcast. I really do believe that tonight's broadcast may be one of the greatest episodes that we've ever had, not because I'm doing the preaching or the teaching, but by the content of the verses that we'll be discussing here in just a few moments. Uh, we already uh, alluded to the uh, significance of this day, uh, December 7th. Today is uh, 2021, but uh, 80 years ago, December 7th, 1941, as the Japanese made the grave mistake of launching the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, which pretty much forced the United States of America uh, to enter into World War II, which can ultimately be attributed as the single greatest factor why the Allies won and the Axis powers ultimately lost World War II. Thank God for that. Uh, otherwise, you and I would either be speaking uh, uh, German or Japanese. Amen. But being an American history enthusiast, that has always took special interest in the Pacific Theater of World War II, this day just holds a special place in my heart, especially as it relates to all the brave souls who died unnecessarily on that fateful day of which our late president, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, referred to. My goodness, yes, I did just spill my water, so hallelujah. Uh, that fateful day of which our late president, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, referred to as a day that would live in infamy. So I encourage everyone just to take some time today to remember those who died and to contemplate just how blessed we are to enjoy the freedom that we have as citizens of America. And uh, I want you to pardon me uh, while I go back and get a paper towel. Yeah, go ahead and laugh. That's a Nick thing. Uh, amen. As long as I've pastored our church, I don't think that I've ever spilled a glass of water until this moment, and it just happens to be right in the middle of our uh, trumpet series broadcast. So here I am in the restroom getting a paper towel. I'm going up to wipe up the water, and we will do that as we um, give today's announcements. Shouldn't surprise you the other night when I was doing this. I think it's something about doing this during the evening and the nighttime, but... Um, uh, we started the broadcast, and we forgot. I'm going to have to go get another paper towel. But I forgot and left my notes down on my desk, so I went all the way downstairs to my desk, and I got my notes off of my off, uh, out of my office, off my desk in the office, came all the way back upstairs, and the entire time I remained, my, micro, my microphone kept signal, and we remained live. So... Hallelujah. We like to keep things interesting here on the Trumpet Series. So forgive me for this, but um, the beautiful pulpit that God blessed us with, we don't want it to get water damage because we let the water set on the wood where we just spilled a glass of water. So maybe we ought to call tonight's broadcast 
the Trumpet Series Comedy Hour, amen, rather than a Bible study broadcast. Leave it to me. I'm always doing something foolish and crazy. Once again, still not enough water. One more paper towel should do the trick. And you know what I tr attribute this to? I attribute it to the devil who knows and does not like the topic of discussion for tonight's broadcast. So he's going to do everything within his power to hinder it. But all I know to say tonight is get thee behind me, Satan. Um, you already lost, so you're going to lose tonight for sure. So let me just wipe up this last remaining residue amount of water so that the pulpit is as clean as possible. Boy, when I make a mess, I really do the trick. Hallelujah, glory to his name tonight. Amen. There we go. I think that should just about do the job. Forgive me. I would say I'm embarrassed, but it's just far, par for the course for me. All right, by way of announcements, I do want to remind you about the Calls Winter Youth Conference that's scheduled for December the 27th through the 30th at the Venture of Faith Camp located in Lake Park, Georgia. Brother Greg Lentz, Dr. Joe Arthur, Chris, Dr. Chris Hayslip, and Evangelist John Burt will be preaching those services. Uh, amen. And then don't forget the first ever Voice of Hope Crusade that's going to take place on Saturday, January 29th, 5 o'clock p.m. at the Convention Center in Gatlinburg, where Brother D.R. Harrison and the entire Voice of Hope team will be hosting that event. Then, uh, of course, Pastor Greg Locke, Brother D.R. Harrison, and Dr. Kevin Jessup will be doing the preaching for um, that first ever Voice of Hope crusade. Again, that's Saturday, January 29th, 5 o'clock p.m. at the Convention Center located in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Then the uh, Browders, the Neelands of the Day, and the Wilmington Celebration Choir will be providing the music for that event. The other announcement we've been uh, sharing with you We'll continue to give it out uh, through the remainder of this week, and that is uh, what's taking place this upcoming Saturday night, December the 10th. Uh, let's see here. In Kingsport, Tennessee, at the Preaching Christ Church, where the Browders will be having their Christmas tour concert at 7 o'clock p.m. Remember that, the Preaching Christ Church in Kingsport, Tennessee, this upcoming Friday night, December the 10th. The Browders will be having their Christmas tour concert. Um, uh, and Lord willing, we're going to do our best to take a van load of people up to Kingsport to attend that concert. All right, just by way of prayer request, I want you to continue to remember a dear friend of mine, pastor friend, Brother Roger Stockton, as he's still in the hospital uh, here in, uh, excuse me, in Johnson City. Uh, remember him and his dear wife. Miss Linda Stockton, in prayer, remember Elizabeth Ward as she's still grieving the loss of her husband that passed away last week. Remember Anthony Thompson, one of our church members, young man who's very sick. Remember Harold Chapman, currently in the hospital here in Greenville. Sam Hardy, I appreciate all the prayers that went out on behalf of my friend Sam Hardy, preacher friend who um, they did surgery to remove a brain tumor. Uh, yesterday evening, and he came that, through that surgery well. Haven't gotten an update here in the last uh, few hours on uh, him, but continue to remember Brother Sam Hardy and his dear wife, uh, Tanya, and their children. Also pray for Sam Stillner uh, and his wife, Barbara, Barbie, and many others who uh, need prayer. So let's go to the Lord in uh, word of prayer. We'll ask his blessings upon uh, today's episode, uh, uh, today's edition of the Trumpet Series, and we'll get right into the Bible study. Father in heaven, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for, uh, Lord, all you do for us. And God, just, um, uh, God, giving us this uh, open door of opportunity, Lord, one more time, just to come uh, by way of live stream, Facebook, uh, uploading onto YouTube, and also uh, uh, by way of audio through uh, podcast. Lord, I pray today 
that your blessings will be upon this, uh, this uh, Bible study. I pray that you'd help me as I preach to share the truths that you've entrusted to me. Well, Lord, what a joy it's been today to spend uh, the time that I spent, Lord, preparing for today's broadcast. And Lord, thank you for your word and what it means. I pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, take your word, God, and, and preach it through me tonight. I pray, God, that you'd illuminate my mind and lighten my eyes. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd anoint uh, my lips. God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a mouth to speak, and a heart to understand, Father. And God, I pray your word, God, would not return void and get the job done. I pray you'd fall on good ground, bearing abundance of fruit in our lives, Father. And I pray we wouldn't be forgetful hearers of the word, but faithful doers of the work as well. God, I pray your word might be a lamp in our feet and a light in our path. We'd hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Honor your word, exalt your son, the humble servant, God. Lord, I pray that if there might be one tonight that's listening or watching tonight's broadcast that does not know Jesus, God, I can't think of a more appropriate episode for them to hear about the message of the gospel, the love of Jesus that has been, uh, Lord, uh, manifested to, to them uh, by way of the death of, of your darling son. Lord, I pray you'd, uh, Lord, uh, impart faith to them, draw them to yourself, convict them of their sins, help them to receive you and turn uh, from sin into Jesus Christ before it's too late. We're going to honor your word tonight and going to praise you in advance for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, yesterday we continued uh, our study uh, of Paul's letter to the Romans by examining verses 5 and number 6 of chapter 5. And this 3 to 4 verse section in Romans chapter number 5, beginning with verse number 5 and continuing on down through verse number 8 are some of the most uh, epic and most uh, powerful verses that are recorded for us, not only uh, in the book of Romans, but in the entire um, uh, confines of Scripture itself. But uh, the fifth blessing and benefit of our newfound position and standing of being justified uh, and declared righteous in the sight of a holy God. Again, the gavel of heaven has fallen. Uh, the, the verdict has been is issued. We've been justified. We've been, been declared uh, not guilty. Case dismissed. What sins are you talking about? And because of that, we have these uh, seven, I believe, total, a total of seven uh, blessings and benefits of our justification. And that began in verse number 1 of chapter number 5. Paul wrote, therefore being justified with, uh, by faith, we have peace with God. The white flag of surrender has been waved. Terms have been met. An agreement has been reached. Uh, amen. That middle wall of partition has been broken down. Uh, amen. And uh, we've been reconciled unto God. But also we've been given access uh, by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Uh, amen. We have a new standing. We're a part of God's family, not just His friends or acquaintances, but we have access into the very throne room of God where we can boldly uh, come boldly into the throne of grace. We, enact, we can access all the manifold riches of His grace. Amen. Uh, amen, as children of the Most High God. I'm a child of the King tonight. Amen. Royal blood flows through my veins. And I can go to the cupboard. I can open the refrigerator. I can sit down at the table. Uh, if I need rest, I can take a nap uh, uh, in a special bed of rest that's been, uh, uh, that's been appropriated into my life. Uh, whatever it is I need, if I just need a shelter, if I need a refuge, if I just need to talk to my father, spend some time with him, being comforted and encouraged by him. I have access into the very uh, presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of my newfound standing that I received now that I've been justified. But amen, we also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, uh, that confidence that we have that one day, now that we have been declared righteous by way of justification, we shall be, in effect, be made righteous uh, I'm going to be like him. Uh, amen. Uh, when God justified me, when he saved me, he delivered me from the penalty of sin. Uh, by way of sanctification, he's delivered me from the power of sin. One day, through my glorification, 
I'm going to be very, delivered from the very uh, presence of sin itself. Uh, and then we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Those are three. Then we looked at the fourth. This process of growth that we discussed at the end of last week. Uh, amen. Knowing this, that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Amen. This growth process. Growing from one level of faith and grace to another level. And again, God's, uh, one of God's great purposes for the lives of His children after we're saved and have been justified is that we may grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, as newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. So that's number four. But now... As we begin looking at verse 5 and 6 yesterday, we see this fifth uh, benefit and blessing of justification. Again, do remember verses 1 through 11, we find the benefits and blessings of justification. But then in verses number 12 through 21, we find the basis uh, of our justification. Amen. Or the foundation, the standing. Uh, amen. The basis, of the grounds, if you will, for our Justification, but verse, but uh, again, this fifth, um, this fifth blessing or benefit of justification that is provided for us, beginning in verse number five and continuing on down through verse number eight, is the blessing of compassion. Amen. Let's read these verses again. Uh, Romans chapter five, verse number five, the middle part of the verse, and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us, for when we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, but God, I can't think of a better Christmas verse than Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So again, yesterday, uh, as we studied verses number 5 and 6 of Romans chapter 5, this fifth blessing of justification, the love of God being shed abroad, distributed, it gushes out, and it's poured into our hearts, per se, by the Holy Ghost, which has been given to us. Again, comparing the phrase shed abroad to a fountain, a geyser, and a volcanic eruption, of love that is bursting forth and flowing down into our hearts as saved, born-again Christians by way of the channel and the aqueduct of the Holy Ghost of God. But then we consider verse 6 where the Bible refers to our lost condition before we got saved as being one without strength. And I say th said this phrase to be without strength means that we do not have the ability or the capacity within ourselves to do a certain thing which in the context of the verse, I believe, means that apart from the divine intervention of a holy God, we sinners do not have the ability or the capacity within ourselves to love the Lord. Or as the Bible says in the book of 1 John, we love Him because He first loved us. Amen. Uh, you, you don't even have the capability within uh, your own self to love God uh, unless God had first uh, put His love for you on display. There's nothing inherently in your nature that causes you to be drawn to God. Uh, no man seeketh after God, is what Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 3. Uh, amen. Uh, there is no beauty in Him that we should desire Him, is what the prophet Isaiah he has said He has despised and rejected of men. That's what it means to be without strength. But then we ended yesterday's study by talking about how that in due time, uh, in God's time, uh, amen, Jesus didn't die a day too early or too late. He died. He gave His life up willingly and voluntarily according to the perfect plan of God right on time. And according to the book of Revelation, God's timing, amen, in due time, According to the sovereign plan of God, it existed before the foundation of the world. Uh, he was as of a lamb, uh, amen, uh, slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. But in due time, the Lord Jesus died for the ungodly, amen, which I personally consider to be the greatest contradiction the world has ever known. The fact that Christ died for the ungodly. 
He who was godly dying for those who were ungodly. He who was righteous dying for those who were unrighteous. He who was holy dying for those who were unholy. And he who was just dying for those who were unjust. So now let's get into verse number 7 where we begin by looking at an exception. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Here Paul continues to expound on the statement he made at the end of verse 6 where he referred to the fact that Christ died for the ungodly even though we were sinners who were without strength when He did so. But now Paul is contrasting the amazing wonder of Christ's sacrificial death on behalf of sinners by showing just how strange, unusual, and abnormal of a thing it is for a person to be willing to die for someone who is unrighteous. Or excuse me, for someone who is righteous. And personally, I believe this goes back to the statement that we made yesterday regarding the exceptional, uh, spectacular, and concentrated nature of the kind of love God has towards those who have been made part of His family. We discussed how that there is an undeniable difference between the kind of love one has towards those who share a blood relationship with him or her as opposed to the kind of love we may have towards those we simply consider to be friends or mere acquaintances of ourselves. I'm talking about a family love, a blood and a kin kind of love as opposed to a love we may have towards those we are friends with or those who we may even go to church with. Yesterday I mentioned how that I believe this is the kind of love that God has and shows towards those who are a part of His family and those whom He considers to be in Christ. There's just kind of a special type of love that God has uh, with His children. A love that is exceptional. A love that is, uh, amen, magnificent. A love that is more concentrated, amen, than the love He has for sinners. A, a love which is in Christ Jesus. Where Paul in Romans 8.39 says that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God for the family kind of love relationship that exists between the Lord and those who have been made a part of His family. But now here in Romans 5.7 Paul has another kind of love in mind. And I personally consider this to be a lesser kind and a lesser form of love which can be described as the kind of rare or unusual love that might cause somebody to be willing to lay down their life for a person who is righteous. Jesus referred to this kind of love in John 15, 13, where the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. So we're talking about a kind of love that would motivate someone to be willing to give themselves and lay down their lives for another person. And certainly this kind of love is genuine, it's real, and it does exist even in our world today. I think we'd agree to say that it is abnormal, and it's unusual, and it is a very rare thing to find. And if we were all honest, I believe we'd have to say that there are very few, could you say this today, that there are very few people in this world that you would be willing to die for, literally. Uh, amen. Who, who are the people in your life that you know that you would be compelled to lay your own life down and give your own life up and die for those people? For the most part, I'd say that this kind of love that would motivate us and compel us to be willing to die for those people, it would primarily be confined to those whom we have a blood, family, and a kin relationship with. I can't speak for other people tonight, but I believe I can confidently say that if necessary, I love my wife and I love my children. I love my parents. I love my brother and my sisters and others who are a part of my close immediate family enough to be willing to lay my own life down and die for them if necessary. That's right. If an intruder walked into my home this evening, amen, and, and if it came right down to them taking my life or my wife's, the life of my wife or my kids, I believe that I would be willing to take a bullet right into the heart or to the brain in order that I might be able to save the lives of those who I love the most dearly. But the question is, outside of blood, kin, and family relations, how many other people in this world 
would I actually be willing to lay my own life down and die for them? And the cold, hard answer to that question is probably very few. Amen. Don't get me wrong, there are a few, a very few handful of people I might be able to put on that list, but again, I could probably add them all up and count them on one hand at the most. Again, I'm talking about the difference between a family love and a, and a love that's confined to a friendship or an acquaintance. It is a very rare and unusual and an abnormal thing for a person to be willing to die for anyone he or she does not share a blood relationship with, even if they are righteous. Verse 7, we find a conception, not just an exception, but a conception. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Here the word peradventure means something that is possible but not probable. And personally, I believe Paul uses the word good here as opposed to the word righteous he used earlier in the verse to show a downward progression or a downward process regarding those for whom someone might be willing to die for. In other words, as abnormal, unusual, and as exceptional of a thing as it is for one to be willing to die for a righteous man, it is even more unlikely and more improbable of a thing for a person to be willing to, to die, lay their lives down and give themselves up, give, their, give, give his or her own life up for somebody who is just good rather than someone who is righteous. In other words, the more flaws one finds in a person and the further apart and the more different a person is, uh, from another person, the less of a likelihood there is that a man would be willing to die for that particular individual. So here's a principle we are more prone, more apt, and more liable to love someone based upon the likenesses and similarities they share with us. The more like someone you are. And isn't that true? In order for you to develop a loving relationship with someone, uh, especially as it relates to entering into the bonds of a marital relationship. If you're going to marry somebody, you're going to have to, if you're going to love somebody, you're going to have to have some common likenesses. That's a human form, and that's a natural kind of love. Normal and natural love is based upon likenesses and similarities, whereas supernatural love exists in spite of differences we have with other people. We might say it this way, it takes a supernatural kind of love to be willing to die for those who are far different and distinct from ourselves. And as the old saying goes, uh, birds of a feather flock together. But you know, that's why, and could we not say tonight that that's why so many biases and prejudices and discriminatory relationships exist in our world today, and that is because human and natural love is based upon man's likenesses and similarities uh, with other people. That's why the supernatural agape love of God is the only real and true answer for the problems of racism, prejudice, and discrimination that exist in our world today. Do not let someone tell you, some uh, high-headed liberal, tell you that Christianity is in itself and in inherent racist and inherent discriminatory and an inherent prejudiced religion because that could not be further from the truth. The supernatural love of God that was proven on behalf, uh, that was proven to man by way of Jesus' death on Calvary, the supernatural love of God, again, Jesus didn't just die for a certain creed, a certain color, a certain ethnic group, a certain race, a certain gender. Jesus didn't just die for the black man or the white man or the Asian or the African. He didn't just die for women. He died for men too. Amen. Uh, Jesus died. Uh, amen. It wasn't confined to a certain social class or an elite group. God is not a God of elitism or uh, a God of prejudice or preference. But Jesus died for all men and the supernatural love of God is the only thing that can enable a man to love those who are different uh, from himself. Amen. One other thing and we'll move on to verse number 8 and that is one of the only ways a person could ever prove the sincerity and genuineness of their love in an irrefutable, unquestionable, 
an undeniable way is for them to be willing to die, to lay down their lives for, and to give their lives up for another person. And if a person is ever willing to do such a thing for any of us, in other words, if you could find somebody in this world that, was, that would be literally and actually willing to die for you, uh, amen, to give his or her life in order that they might save yours, amen, if you could find such a person, we would at that very moment lose any right or reason uh, we ever had to question the sincerity and the genuineness of their love. Amen. If you want to know whether or not a person really and truly loves you, are they willing to, to give themselves up for you? Are they willing to, to, to sacrifice their life so that you might have life? And I know a man that gave his life up so that not only might we have life, but that we might have it more abundantly. Now there's a commendation. Uh, verse number 8. Amen. But God commendeth. Here we find what undoubtedly has to be considered one of the great and elite verses not just in Romans but in the entirety of Scriptures where the Apostle Paul does uh, an amazing and marvelous and extraordinary job of describing the magnitude of God's love on behalf of poor lost sinners such as ourselves. For in this verse... The apostle wrote these infamous words. You talk about a day that would live on in infamy, December the 7th, 1941. How about words that, that have lived and will continue to live on in, in a state of infamy? The words of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul said, But God commendeth His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me read it one more time just for... Uh, love's sake, but God commendeth His love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. First of all, we see the word commendeth. And I want you to listen to the meaning of this word, which means to demonstrate and to put on display or to exhibit or to put on an, an, an exhibit for everybody to see. And notice how that this word has an E-T-H ending, which means... It is a verb that is in the continual sense. It continues to occur right up into this very day. Not only did God in the past, but also He is currently and will continue to use the death of His darling Son, Jesus Christ, as an undeniable and irrefutable display and exhibit and an expression of His love for all who would ever be willing to look towards that, uh, that exhibit. And remember, friend, if you want to see uh, the greatest display of love that's ever been given, just look towards the cross, amen? Uh, those Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to the cross, amen? But they were still, although they didn't understand what they were looking forward towards, they didn't understand at all. They were, at that point in time, uh, looking through a glass darkly. Whereas you and I see it face to face, we see it clearly. Amen. But still, even though they didn't understand everything that pertained to it, they were still witnessing the greatest display of love that would ever occur. Revelation 13.8 refers to Jesus as a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And they were able, those Old Testament saints were able to look forward to the coming Messiah's death as a future exhibit and a future display of God's great love on behalf of poor sinners uh, such as they knew themselves to be. But also, not only we ourselves, but those who will yet live in the future will still be able to look back on the cross and see it as an undeniable exhibit of the love God has for poor lost sinners such as us. The cross is the defining moment of history. You talk about a day that will live on in infamy. December 7th, 1941. Uh, the day that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. It is a day that will continue to live on in infamy. Just like September 11th, 2001 will go down uh, as a day that will continue to live on in infamy. But how about the day uh, that Jesus, uh, amen, in the first century A.D., uh, walked that lonely road up uh, Golgotha's hill, the, the Via Della Rosa. He walked that road and carried that cross, uh, bore that burden on his shoulders. 
he, he voluntarily and willingly laid his own body and his own life down. And he allowed them to drive nails through his hands and through his feet. He allowed his body to be bruised, to be beaten and broken. Amen. He allowed himself to be exposed naked and, 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 and he hung, uh, amen, in a, in a state of shame in between the heavens and the earth suspended for all to see his naked exposed body. Uh, amen. And a spear was ultimately driven through his side. Amen. That day, more so than December 7th, 1941, and more so than even September 11th, 2001, that day when the Lamb of God suffered and bled and died, it always has and it always will be a day that lives on as a day of infamy. As I've already said, the death of God's darling Son on Calvary removes and it takes away any right, any reason, or any excuse one might ever have to question God's love for them. And friend, although I may and so often don't understand why a lot of things happen in my life, and I can't answer why some things happen to other people, and in this old mixed up, messed up world that you and I live in, as crazy as confused as it might all seem to be, uh, and as crazy as it is right now for that matter, None of us will ever be able to question, to be able to stand before God one day and rightfully question the love God has for us poor sinners. Because every doubt, every right, every reason, and every excuse just all melts right away in light of the undeniable display and exhibit of love God made for us when He sent Jesus to die in our place and for our sins. There's an old song that says, and I just sang it for you tonight, if that isn't love, if the death of Jesus Christ is not the ultimate display and exhibit of love, then the ocean is dry. There are no stars in the sky. The sparrow can't even fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this. If that isn't love, friend. I believe Sister Dottie Rambo hit the nail on the head when she wrote that great song. Amen. Very simply, when we sinners behold the Lamb of God suffering, bleeding, and dying in our place and for our sins on Calvary's cross, we are in essence beholding the love of God. The question for you, friend, is have you personally, uh, individually, and for yourself beheld the love of God? And may I say to you to behold the Lamb of God is to behold the love of God. Amen. You cannot uh, behold the love of God and, and without... Amen. You cannot behold the Lamb of God without also beholding the love of God. Now there's a description, but God commendeth what? His love. Now again, this goes back to something we've already discussed, how that God's love is so unique and different from any other kind of love we may possess as Individuals, I'm talking about an abnormal and an exceptional kind of love God has for sinners. Why? Because the normal ability man has to love other people is based upon the likenesses and similarities he has with them. Hence, the normal ability man has to love other people is hindered, it's limited to, and it's restricted by all the differences he may have with other people. But... May I say to you this evening, friend, that God's love is not a normal kind of love. It's an abnormal. Uh, it's an exceptional. And it's a supernatural kind of love. Why? Because the love of God is able to overcome and supersede all the differences we may have from Him. Amen. God is still able to love us even though we sinners are polar opposite and are so very distinctly different from a holy God, who God is and what He's like. You see, friend, when compared with and contrasted against the holy God of heaven, there is nothing at all about us similar or us sinners that is similar to or reminds us of a holy God. What is it about your life that reminds anybody of holiness? A holy God. Amen. Yet still the supernatural and unconditional and agape love of God is able to overcome all of those differences. And He is still able to love us anyway, even though there is nothing at all about us sinners that reminds us 
of who our God is and what He is like. We are nothing like God. Now, we were created in the form, in the image, and in the likeness of God. But um, through the fall of man, the fall of man that occurred in the Garden of Eden, man has lost the majority of his the similarities and the resemblance that he originally had with a holy God. Uh, amen. I'm talking about a love tonight that is not bound by any limits. Uh, a love that is not bound by any rules, any restrictions, any differences, or any boundaries whatsoever. That's why God's love is a boundless love. It's limitless. It's unrestricted. It's untamed. It's unmovable. It's unchangeable. It's unbreakable. It's undeniable. It's inescapable. It's unforgettable. It's unerasable. Uh, it's unconditional. It's eternal. And I like this one. It's a personal kind of love. Thank God for the great love he, whereby, wherewith He loved us. Now there's a destination. But God commended His love towards who? Towards us. Here we find what I want to refer to as the personal nature of God's love. And in these two little words, we find the scope and the target of just exactly who the, the exhibition of God's love was shown towards and intended for. Bottom line, if you could ever hear or read those two little words, uh, towards us, you will find yourself to be the intended audience and the actual target of just exactly who God's love was shown towards and meant for. Friend, if you are watching the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast Day, if you're listening to this episode by way of podcast, I want to say to you, if the question exists in your mind, just exactly who did God love and who did God intend for His love, His great love to be shown towards and expressed to, it was meant for you. But God commended His love towards who? Toward us, towards me, towards you, towards everybody. That's why for the life of me, I just can't understand how so many of our well-meaning Calvinist friends could get such a basic principle as this one so very wrong. Uh, amen. Thinking uh, in a sincere manner that God's love was only meant or directed to certain people. When in reality, any non-biased objective reading of this as well as many other foundational verses of the scripture obviously reveal the fact that God's uh, the demonstration and expression of God's love that was given through the death of his darling son was meant for and shown towards everybody and all men bottom line if you fall under the category of an us and if you qualify as being an intended recipient of God's great show of love he made for sinners when He died in our place and for our sins on Calvary's cross. When you read the word us, it means that God meant for that great expression of God's love to be displayed towards your soul and towards your life. Thank God for what we believe is a whosoever will salvation. As the Bible says that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We're not just talking about a general love uh, for the world or for all men, but we're also talking about an individual and a personal kind of love that God has for us, for you and for me. And that's why the personal receiving element of salvation is such an important part of the gospel. That's why it is so important not for us to just believe in Jesus, but also to receive Christ and to receive salvation for oneself in a personal and an individual way and manner. And sad to say, although there are many who supposedly say they believe in who Jesus is, there are a whole lot less of those who say they believe who can honestly and actually say that they themselves have made personal application of God by actually receiving Christ on a personal level. Bottom line, when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just die for the world in general, but He died for us. He died for you, and Jesus died for me. Hallelujah, glory to God. I believe that if I were the only one who needed to be died, if I were the only sinner who needed a Savior, I believe that, that the God of heaven, the Son of God, would have stepped out off His throne and said, Here am I. I will die in His place. And I'll give my life for his sin. Amen. 
Now there's a condition in that while we were yet sinners. What kind of condition were we in when Jesus loved us so much that He would commend, amen, that God would commend and, and, and put on display the great love that He had for us and for our souls. He died for us and He loved us, not when we were righteous, not when we were good. You see that continual downward progression. But God loved us in that while we were yet sinners. Now, here's what takes the love of God out of the normal realm. Uh, the capacity and the confines of the natural ability man has and possesses within himself to love other people based upon the common likeness and similarities he has with them. And here's what takes God's love and puts it into another galaxy and another stratosphere. Out of the natural and into the supernatural and extraordinary realm where only God alone exists and abides. I'm talking about the illogical, unreasonable, unexplainable phenomena of how a holy God could ever love sinners. And friend, that right there is the single greatest miracle and mystery that is found within the entire context of God's Word. I'm talking about a miracle that is greater than the parting of the waters. A miracle that is more wonderful than the burning of a bush, the healing of the sick, the calming of the storm, the taming of nature. One that's uh, even greater than the resurrecting of the dead itself. That is how a holy God could even want or desire, let alone be able to love poor, lost, unworthy sinners such as you and such as me. Friend, if any scholar could ever unwrap or unravel that mystery, uh, if anybody could ever figure out that miracle, He'd be greater than any scientist, any builder, any inventor, ever, any designer, any architect, any artist, any author, any investigator or discoverer who has ever been recognized or lauded by a mortal man. Friend, I'm telling you today, nobody has ever come up with a cure. Nobody's ever built a building. No one has ever created an invention designed a fashion, sculptured a bust, painted a painting. Unraveled a mystery, wrote a book, or discovered some hidden gem or treasure that would even compare to what it would be like to figure out, explain, or understand how a holy God could ever love wicked and sinful men. Yet, friend, when Jesus died in our place and for our sins, that's exactly what happened. A holy God loving wicked and unholy men. Friend, my advice to any saved, born-again Christian, including myself, is to implore all of us to spend our entire existence here on earth being obsessed, infatuated, and ate up with trying to unravel, explain, and figure out that mystery. Because even though you won't even scratch the surface, let alone exhaust the meaning of God's great love for sinners, I want to say to you tonight, friend, that the secret, such is the secret, and such holds the key to a life of success and victory as a saved, born-again child of God. 1 John 3, 16, uh, the apostle wrote, Hereby perceive we the love of God, how He laid down His life for us, so ought we also to lay down our lives for the brethren. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, The love of God constraineth us. In other words, it compels us, it draws, and it motivates us to love God and to love others in the same way we ourselves are loved by God. By the way, you'll never know how to truly demonstrate love unless you know what it is first and foremost to be loved by God. I'm telling you, friend, being able to perceive and understand the love of God on behalf of poor wretched sinners holds the key and the secret to your power, your strength, your success, and your victory as a Christian. The more you are able to understand and the more you are able to comprehend the love God has for sinners like you and sinners like me, the stronger, the more powerful, the more victorious, and the more triumphant your life uh, of spiritual, spirituality as a Christian will be. But no matter how hard you try and no matter how long or how much time you spend thinking about or meditating on a holy God's love for unholy sinners, you'll never even scratch the surface, let alone be able to exhaust the subject. Amen. But God commended His love towards us and the condition we're in. 
in, in that while we were yet sinners, we weren't righteous, we weren't even good. Amen. But Jesus loved, God loved us and Jesus died in our place and for our sins. And that while we were yet sinners, somebody say, Hallelujah, glory to His name. Now there's a substitution. Christ died for us. Here we find one of the great marvelous, and we'll finish up with this tonight, and wonderful cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, which we might identify to be the vicarious, substitutionary, and sacrificial death of God's darling Son on behalf of poor lost sinners. Once again, this puts to bed and to rest any doubt or question that may arise or enter into our minds as to whether or not a holy God really and truly does love unworthy and unholy and undeserving sinners. Why? Because the Lord unequivocally proved the reality and the genuineness of His great love for us. It wasn't just a love. Uh, amen. Uh, the, the great love that God had for us. When Jesus died in our place and for our sins on Calvary's cruel rugged cross. By the way, Jesus, when He died, He didn't die for His own sin because Jesus didn't have any sin that needed to be died for. Can I get a witness? But hallelujah and praise be to His high and holy name for the fact when the spotless, sinless, pure, innocent, holy Lamb of God died, He died as a worthy substitutionary sacrifice not just for our sins only but also on behalf of of the sins of the whole and entire world. And as Jesus uh, uh, approached John on his way to be baptized, uh, John the Baptist recognized him for he was, and he cried out and declared, I believe that so even the angels in heaven could see it, could hear the sound of his voice as John the Baptist proclaimed and pronounced, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of all the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul wrote, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, the Father made the one who was sinless to literally and actually become sin on behalf of those who were sinful, so that those who were unrighteous could be made the righteousness in and through the only one who ever was righteous. Amen. In John 3.14, Jesus told Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up. And I want to give you this tonight, friend, and I'm through. For the longest time I never could figure out how or why Jesus would compare Himself to a serpent of brass, just like the one God told Moses to erect and lift up on a pole so that whosoever looked on Him would be able to live and recover from the poisonous snake bite they had received. And by the way, the bronze that that snake was made out of represents the judgment of God being poured out on that uh, snake in the place of and on behalf of those people who had been infected and poisoned by the venomous snakes. God sent into the camp. But then I started thinking about just exactly what happened when Jesus suffered, bled, and died on Calvary's cross. And I was reminded of how that there came a time as Jesus hung, bled, and died on that cross to where the Father no longer saw the Son as the innocent little lamb or the great all-powerful lion He really was. But if you'll read the book of Matthew chapter number seven or 27, beginning with verse number 45 and continuing on down for ver through verse 51, you'll find that there was about a three-hour window from about the sixth to the ninth hour to where darkness fell over the entire land and towards the end of the three-hour period, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it was also about that time when the soldiers took a sponge, dipped it down into vinegar, dabbed it up against Jesus' lips, and gave the Son of God a bitter cup to drink. And shortly thereafter, the Bible tells us that Jesus cried out one last time, It is finished. And right then and there, the Bible says that He gave up the ghost and He died. Immediately, God's Word tells us that there was a great earthquake and that the veil in the temple was rent from the top down to the bottom. You say, Preacher, what in the world is all of this about? 
And just exactly what does it all signify? Well, my friend, I believe that during that three-hour time frame that lasted from the sixth to the ninth hour, I believe that as darkness fell all over the land and as the blessed Son of God cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I just happen to believe, friend, that for those three hours the Holy Father no longer saw His darling Son as a great lion or an innocent, sinless lamb that He truly was. But during that three-hour time span, I believe the Father viewed the Son of God as a wicked, vile snake as Jesus suffered, bled, and died in the place of and on behalf of poor, wretched sinners such as you and I are. And as Jesus took that bitter cup of vinegar to His lips, I believe it represented Him tasting and partaking of the bitter taste of sin as well as that which He had never experienced before in His entire life, what it meant to be separated from His Father all because of the curse and consequences of sin He was suffering, bleeding, and dying for and on behalf of. But when He cried out, It is finished. And as Jesus willingly died and voluntarily gave up the ghost, as the earth shook and as the veil ran and as the graves of those Old Testament saints birthed forth and began literally walking up and down through the streets of Jerusalem. Read it, that's what the Bible says. I believe God's holy and righteous standard was met. Uh, Amen. Tetelestai, it is finished. The account was settled, hallelujah. The sin debt was paid. And I believe Jesus went down to hell, took the keys from Satan, took the cap off of paradise below, led captivity captive, and led led the greatest jail or prison break this world's ever known. Boy, I wish I had a house full tonight. We'd shout it out even if we are a Baptist church. Three days later, Christ proved the magnitude and the degree of His great victory when He overcame the power of sin by conquering death, hell, and the grave by resurrecting His own body and coming out of that borrowed tomb. I'm talking about a holy lamb that was willing to become a snake so that we snakes could become God's holy and righteous little lamb. And over the course of today's episode of the Trumpet Series broadcast, I've done my best to describe to you to the best of my ability and of my own knowledge, reasoning and understanding just what it means for a holy God to love unworthy and unholy sinners like us. And I don't know how or why He did it, but I'll be forever thankful to my dying day for Romans 5 verse 8 where the Word of God says, But God commended His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friend, if you could ever figure that out, you'd be a millionaire. Father in heaven, I love you tonight. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, even though it's later on in the evening. Lord, we could have looked for every excuse in the world as to why not to have tonight's episode of the Trumpet Series. But Lord, I've done my best to spare not, but to cry loud and lift up my voice like a trumpet. And Lord, I've, I've... Uh, attempted. I've taken on the hardest job in the world and that is to try to explain or make sense out of something that is higher than our ways and greater than our thoughts. Father, I'll never understand. I'll never be able to explain. I'll never even scratch the surface of just exactly how or why a holy God could die for unholy sinners and unholy men. But Father, all I know is I'm just so glad and I'll be forever thankful. And I pray that it be the heartbeat of my life that motivates me and gives me strength to get out of bed every day and be a witness of the gospel. And that is the fact that God commended His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place and for our sins. Lord, I pray that you take today's broadcast and I pray it go out Lord, over Facebook and all over YouTube and by way of podcast. And Lord, it'd fall fall upon the hearts. Uh, And and Lord, it would open the eyes of those who are viewing. And it would open the, the ears of those who are listening, God. And it'd enter into the hearts of all who are doing our best this evening to understand what it means for a holy God to die for unholy men. We love you tonight and we thank you for another chance we have to proclaim the good news of the gospel of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thanks. And have a good night. God bless.